It is the night before Christmas, and all through the house, no one had eaten, not even a mouse. Food was scarce in the fireless night, huddled and waiting for dawn's first light. There you sat, with a hopeless sigh, wondering if the man from Myra might come by. When all of the sudden a clatter was heard and you sprang to the door to see what had occurred, but as you opened the hinge he was gone in a flash, so you ran to the window and threw open the sash. A loaf of bread sat there, such a gift in your need on this cold Christmas night with the children to feed. Then you caught a glimpse of the one they called Saint, for it was Nicholas of Myra, and his mission was anything but quaint. From the poem, A Different Night Before Christmas, by, well, I just made that up. Welcome to the Becoming Human Podcast Christmas Edition, kind of. Uh, December 6th is traditionally the feast day of one St. Nicholas of Myra probably heard of him before, but you might not actually know much about him, which is a shame. So I figured I should do an episode looking at what we can learn from St. Nicholas, which will actually turn into two episodes because alongside of the history, which is interesting enough, there is a becoming human niche embedded in this exploration. Because the first question that often comes up surrounding this topic is what is the best way to handle this discussion with children within our culture? Conveniently, this is something I've spent a lot of time thinking about and and trying to do, but there are more gems to be found here as well. And I'll be honest, I hesitated to make these episodes. This conversation is a bit, shall we say, taboo. And I've gotten lambasted before for even bringing up such a topic. You just don't do it. However, sometimes my spouse and I will get into conversations with people about parenting, and honestly, out of all the things that come up, this is the subject that people appear to be the most interested in. It's like we have this thing that we think everyone is doing, but we're not sure how everyone goes about it, but we can't be too public about it, but we also want to know what everyone else is thinking. The Santa Claus experience is such an assumed thing culturally. I mean, it's all over the media. We're kind of surrounded by this everywhere we look during this time of year. So we're handed a process, but there isn't like a rule book or, or a guide. We, we just inherit it and go with it and don't really have permission to process the whole phenomenon outside of our inner circles. The situation of Santa Claus is a good example of indirect, ambiguous knowledge. So I thought I'd share how I have approached this strange cultural phenomenon because I have thought a lot about it, and, and I've also, in my own weird, inquisitive way, done a bunch of research because the concept's just so fascinating to me. I've, I've probably spent too much time exploring the world of Santa and Christmas history, which I suppose these episodes are just kind of an excuse to try to justify all the time I've spent on it. So, what is the Santa Claus thing? How did it come about? How has it changed? And of course... Should we tell our children about this? Alas, let's get into the history of Santa Claus 
And what happens when we look at the very big picture of this very assumed thing on this episode of Becoming Human Christmas Edition? Happy St. Nicholas Day, everyone. Well, I kind of hope I don't need to offer this disclaimer. I think I've been relatively forward with where this is going. But yeah, if you don't want certain members of your family to hear certain things about a certain subject, now is the time to pause this. Because I'm going to give the short answer to the episode's primary question. Are you ready? My children know that Santa Claus is not real. Yes, from day one, I have told my children the truth about Santa Claus. Like, literally, the whole history, story, developments, all of it. They've heard it. They know there isn't a real person giving the presents by coming into our house. The global poles do not host a toy manufacturing village. And this whole thing is quite honestly a cultural mythology that has developed from thousands of stories over thousands of years in all sorts of different cultures. They know that. My hope, or at least my agenda is that by the end of these next two episodes, you, too, will consider going in this direction. At the least, I hope you know more about where this all comes from as you participate in whatever tradition you decide to do. But that's the question. Should you tell your children about Santa Claus? My opinion is that yes, you should, but it's also not that simple. And to unpack the complexity of that answer, we're going to need to go back as far as the beginning as possible. I want to invite us to stretch beyond the assumed narrative of the common Santa Claus thing and capture depth that our culture doesn't really tend to work toward, partly because this is just a narrative we inherit and go along with because it is what it is. However, the big picture view, I think it does provide us with potential usefulness, at least more than the current narrative by itself does. And there are parenting notes here. The the kind of human beings we want to bring forth in the universe leads me being okay with them understanding the depth and complexity of the world, even if it's at the expense of a cool story. But there are other dynamics of this that aren't only worth them knowing, but that can offer better stories to shape how they live. That, I believe, comes with asking the right questions about the history of Santa Claus in our culture. How did we get to the current modern narrative? How have traditional celebrations throughout history impacted this? How have social, economic, and technological changes impacted what we now have as Santa Claus and the role it plays in our society? Those answers lead to why I'm willing to tell my children about all of it and and potentially ruin Christmas for them, yes, which, full disclosure, I don't think it does. I I actually think it makes it better. So we'll handle some of that today, and on on the next episode, I want to get into some of the heavier lifting uh, because I not only think that we should put the current Santa Claus story in its proper historical place, not only should we understand all the dynamics and traditions that have led to this, and potentially use and honor them all, but there's a better story that maybe needs put back in its rightful place within the world of Christmas celebrations. So that's where we'll go next time. But first, we need to handle what I'm not doing here. Because the normal conversation here usually goes a couple of different ways. First, of course, 
you shouldn't do the Santa Claus thing because Santa Claus is bad. For some, this is because of religious reasons, right? Santa usurps Jesus's birthday. That's a big no-no. Put Christ back in Christmas. The secular culture is a detriment to the faith, etc. For others, a reason that you shouldn't do the Santa Claus thing because Santa is bad is because the Santa narrative is a social construct. Capitalist corporations prying on the proletariat, sort of the secularized, woke version from high society. Now, depending on your worldview, both of these are fair. If there is going to be a theme of this episode, however, it's that neither of those go far enough. And I'm not prepared to say that Santa Claus is bad. I believe the cultural narrative can coexist alongside of various religious narratives. The Christian church, at least, does this with with all sorts of civil moments in the calendar while still emphasizing their own holy days. That can happen. And even if there is truth to the social construct idea, it doesn't make the narrative completely wrong. Again, if that is the logic, well, there should be lots of things we don't participate in because much of our world functions the same way and we're just going to end up returning to a tribal society of some sort, which I don't know that we would want. So you've got those takes, which are kind of the same as the voices like in the homeschooling debate. That's just what I compare it to. There's the conservative religious perspective. There's the sort of elite liberal perspective. Both are against Santa, but for different reasons. I don't necessarily disagree here. I get it. I just think that's too simplistic. Second, a simpler approach. You shouldn't do the Santa thing because you are outright lying to your children. You're making up a fairy tale that they believe is real and they'll eventually find out and the rug of the world will be pulled out on them. You're setting them up for the sake of a few years of cool moments on Christmas morning. Again, it's a little more complicated than that, but yeah, I get it. Now, on the other side of this, you have just as stern of perspectives that you should do the Santa Claus thing. And most of this reasoning is because of the experience and imagination it offers to children. Don't steal something magical from them. That's part of being a child. This is important. Which is also a very myopic view of the human experience. There's been thousands, millions of children who didn't even know this was a thing. But again, I get it. There is value in the experience itself, which can be formative. They'll find out the inner workings behind the curtain eventually, but it's the experience that will shape them to see the world through this good lens. This often leads to lessons on generosity or family values or something of the like. And if there's some deceit, it's part of the experience that teaches the lesson. Or another possible option on this side of the issue is that, listen, It's just what you do as a modern civilized person in this global society. You stop at red lights, you pay taxes, you go to school, and you do the Santa thing. That's just what you do. And all of those are viable discussions. Keep on having them, that is fine. I just want to be clear that none of them capture what I am hoping to do through these episodes. Because even when I hear these debates, my strange mind jumps to, But what exactly is the Santa Claus thing? Where did it come from? Is this some sort of natural law embedded in the universe that we are choosing to believe in or prove false? And from a sociological level, this all starts to get quite interesting. 
It's the social construction of norms on display, which really just means that there is an invitation to zoom out and start to see how small these dominant conversations really are. Because the Santa thing serves a function, like all societal norms. So what function does it serve? And here you get a variety of answers and some problems. For some, it is a means of celebrating Christmas. It's the tangible access to a holiday that has become a little bit complicated. For religious people, this does get really complicated, which is why some reject it outright. Others, however, try to mix Santa with religious language of Christmas, and it gets confusing real quick. But seriously, Christians, at least in the United States, might as well put a passage about Santa in the Bible the way that it appears within their mainstream emphasis. For others, however, you know, it's a cultural rite of passage, you know, the magic of the season. In celebrating what is a seemingly naturally festive time of year, there's this mythological ethos that we get to participate in. But overall, these are the normal conversations. Don't tell your children. Do avoid stealing from them. Do tell your children so that you aren't a liar or participating in some weird religious ritual or cultural phenomenon. Or somewhere in the middle, you know, Santa is about the spirit of Christmas and it's a way to be ethically formed, but it doesn't have to be literal, all of that. And to play my hand, my family still does the parts of Christmas that are, quote, magical. We do our fair share of pretending. The difference is that we're just all in on the process. Why I wanted to name those norms, though, is because I don't think they are the full story. I also think that this reveals one of the more important issues, that there is an assumption we tend to have that this discussion is the whole thing. And I just think that the less we see of this, the less meaningful it is. Is there more going on here? And if there is, can understanding that actually help us approach this idea differently? And is that better than what we currently have and may assume is just part of how the world works? I think there is. But to get there, we're going to have to start at the beginning. The beginning of this whole Santa Claus culture thing is, of course, at the beginning of culture, which is the first step to putting Santa Claus in his proper place. Yes, this situation that we regularly interact with as parents is quite old, and the scope is way too large to handle in just one episode. But I just want to note, every culture in history has seemed to have some version of a winter festival. Just like harvest festivals, some kind of magical celebratory season in the winter is almost ubiquitous amongst humanity. What is different is that our contemporary culture, we, we have this mishmash of inherited examples that have coalesced into one larger thing. And it has taken the name of one form of that kind of winter festival Christmas. So we don't just have these singular tribal uh, manifestations of, of the of winter festival. We have all sorts of different things, but they all kind of come together. And then there's one name that came from one specific kind. And we could go into more depth on the season of Christmas. You know, it comes from the Christian church who chose the day of December 25th with a very intentional purpose or the oft quoted pagan influences of Christmas or the gamut of happy holidays dynamics that captures 
you know, all these special events that all happen to occur during this time of year. But what's interesting, despite the battle between using the phrase Christmas or holiday season, is that culture, even on a globalized scale, all enters into the season simultaneously and with a bunch of different influences, but with one common perspective. Like, I guess I am okay going on record of saying that I'm not very interested in saying happy holidays or Christmas, because when people say Merry Christmas, they usually don't mean the specific religious connotation that came from Mass of Christ. Uh, And at the same time, there are a bunch of these holidays, but culture is kind of celebrating a season together, no matter what we call it. There isn't generally... A, a specific connotation or allegiance to one particular holiday form or set of traditions, the Christmas season has become synonymous with just kind of the time of year. Again, no matter what you call it. No group, I'm saying, has won the competition for primacy of their holiday in the winter season. But something did win. It's just a little more difficult to figure out what that something is because it is divergent from every past tradition, while also a synchronized conglomeration of so many of them. Yeah, you've, you've got the tribe pushing to keep Christ in Christmas, you've got the happy holiday crowd, and you even have the vast swath of the population who just goes along with Christmas and holiday stuff because it's the rampant expectation of the season. It's not inherently religious, it's not inherently from one tribe or society, It far exceeds them all, and it reaches back to the very beginning of the idea by outsourcing many of them. What I'm saying is that the first invitation here might be to recognize that this whole thing, one, emerges from a very social instinct, we are witnessing the modern form of the winter festival, and two, is a unique blend of tons of factors that is unprecedented within history. The religious, the social, the commercial, the cultural, there's a bunch of stuff interwoven here. And while I find that concept really fascinating, I just say that to point out that the whole situation with Santa Claus is just a smaller example of what is happening on a larger social and historical scale. Santa Claus is confusing because what is happening with the current version of winter festivals is confusing. You've got hundreds of cultural traditions through thousands of years all combining into a singular globalized thing, hence Santa. Honestly, I think a lot of the combativeness is people genuinely trying to make sense of their experience within the larger convection of existence. They understand Christmas one way, but the same thing is used to describe something very different from their understanding, or they know this particular holiday in the winter festival scope, and are trying to place that within what has become a singularity known as the month of December with all of its traditions and trappings and coalescing cultural and commercial rituals. What is the most important for our discussion, however, is that what we are dealing with here is incredibly unique. Not only is there not just one concept or history here, even though it is normally takes on a common name of Christmas, which does have a single concept in history, We have a holiday, a festival, that is now a social institution as opposed to a religion's or a culture's ownership. From religious groups to the Hallmark Channel to shopping centers, everyone is technically interacting with 
the same thing. Santa Claus is just the most tactile expression of the phenomenon. Seriously, it may be the only dynamic that transcends the cultural and religious distinctions that folks so often try to emphasize this time of year. What are the requirements for doing the Santa thing? Do you have to be a Christian? Well, some Christians would say that being a Christian means you shouldn't do the Santa thing. Do you have to be from the United States? Well, the dynamic of Santa Claus, like a lot of cultural forces that kind of originate in North America, have become palpably accessible almost everywhere. So what do we do with this? And how does it help us understand if we should tell our children about it? The best place to start with understanding our modern situation of Santa Claus within this strange phenomenon of the winter festivals slash holiday season slash Christmas season is what name should we use for this enigmatic figure? Whether you watch a movie about Santa Claus or you're just watching how the person is referenced in various conversations, Santa Claus appears to have a lot of names. But the names aren't arbitrary. Sure, you've got Kris Kringle or Father Christmas or Grandfather Frost, but there are all these references to the same figure and they are used interchangeably. There are songs that even reference multiple names depending on which verse you're listening to. Now, technically, and I say that with the awareness that things have changed, these names are actually all different and come from different places, which we'll get into more in the next episode. But the one name that is used interchangeably, and at least in my household, we've pushed back against, is the one that we need to know that starts it all off. Saint Nicholas. Jolly old Saint Nicholas, in fact. And it is a fair reference, calling the modern Santa Claus figure Saint Nicholas, because we can literally trace the evolution of this name to our modern day celebrations. But starting here, we see that all of the Santa Claus stuff starts with this name. You don't have the epitomal version of Santa Claus without St. Nicholas. So, if we want to know how we got here, if we want to trace the history of Santa Claus and how that ends up with this whole illustrious narrative about flying animals and a secret toy factory and the hinterlands of human existence, this is the best place to begin. And though the current mythology and cultural ethos is quite divergent, there is an origin to the story. Because St. Nicholas, in fact, was an actual person. To be fair, that is a bit harder to pin down than just looking up a biography with the basic historical facts. Part of this is because St. Nicholas is from a time in history that having accurate records of specific details was a bit hard to come by. His actual name was Nicholas of Myra, and he was born during the 3rd century around Myra, which is in modern-day Turkey. The exact year of his birth isn't actually known, even the year of his death is argued, but this was a man who lived during the 3rd and 4th centuries in the Roman Empire while said empire was at its peak. He was also a monk. His uncle was actually the Bishop of Myra in, in the freshly formed Christian religion, and Nicholas began a religious life pretty early, partly because his uncle and partly because his parents both died when he was young, which led him to join in the clergy. But Nicholas became a powerful figure very early on and developed a specific reputation for being generous. This started when he took the inheritance he received upon his parents' death and gave it away. 
He became a priest at this time and actually traveled to develop an education to the point that he became a bishop, ultimately taking over for his uncle in Myra. And if you were wondering why the modern Santa Claus wears the specific outfit he does, it's because that the outfit is loosely based on this man named Nicholas who wore bishop's robes. From here, the historical details become a little sketchy. Again, writing history was not the field it was today, but this is also because St. Nicholas quickly took on a lot of legends as a result of his reputation, and there are a lot of stories here. Some seem less plausible, like when he supposedly confronted a butcher who dismembered three children and tried to sell them as meat, to which St. Nicholas confronted him, made the sign of the cross over the barrel they were stuffed in, and brought them back to life, which is why you will sometimes see icons of Nicholas with three children coming out of a barrel. Or when he calmed a storm while traveling on the sea, should sound familiar to those with ears to hear. Others could be likely, uh, like being imprisoned by the Roman emperor Diocletian, or the now famous story where he provided gold to a father so that his daughter would not end up in slavery or prostitution. The point is that there is a vast legend around this figure's personality, so much so that very quickly after his death, which, by the way, is usually presumed to be on December 6th, 343, he became a saint, and his narrative blossomed to the bend of legend in history. In both the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches, December 6th became a feast day celebrating St. Nicholas, and this went on as it was for thousands of years. Further, uh, Nicholas was a unique saint because of all the things he was a patron of. You know, patron of sailors, children, prostitutes, brewers, students, the unmarried, pawnbrokers, repentant thieves, archers, and even wolves. So, there was this guy named Nicholas from Myra who became a bishop and was really generous who within a century of his death became a noted saint and legend because of his ethical actions. And this led to the tradition in many European nations of leaving shoes out on December 6th that would then be filled with gifts or food or money, which as a legend goes, St. Nicholas would actually do when he was alive, albeit it was usually for poor children who were receiving items that they needed for survival. Anyway, you can see where this is going that, I would say, outside of the vast world of winter festivals that also have some similar figures and traditions, is where the notion of Santa Claus begins. But there's still a big question here. How did a saint from the ancient Roman Empire turn into what we see today with Christmas? Well, it's actually kind of simple. It spread and took on the traditions of different contexts, and continued to evolve to reflect the changes in society. A gift-giving, charismatic leader who wore bishop's robe kind of makes sense. But honestly, for about 1,300 years, the whole feast day of St. Nicholas is about all there was. So the first reason that we might be okay with telling our children about Santa Claus is that the whole thing is kind of new. I guess... My hope is that just by being honest about the whole winter festival conglomeration and by being aware of the actual origins of certain trends in history, it just makes the whole Santa thing less ambiguous. Like, there's actual explanations here that reflect real people in real places and real times of history that just 
develop within the ebb and flow of culture and society until it got to us today. We're just inheriting the process of thousands of years. That being said, what changed? Why was it relatively static and localized for 1,300 years and then took off in a direction that led us to the North Pole and elves and sitting on someone's lap in the mall? Well, a little-known event called the Protestant Reformation might be to blame. Because up until this point, this was a religious tradition, and even more specifically, a European religious tradition. And when that religious culture went into tumult, it required some rehashing of the norms. Now, I'm not saying that the Protestant Reformation is responsible for Santa Claus or that it started because of the St. Nick issue. But what happened in the Protestant Reformation led to a switch that allowed a 1,300-year-old norm to finally change. Because one Protestant emphasis was that saints would no longer be venerated, and that included St. Nicholas. And without the veneration of saints, you no longer would celebrate the feast days, which included December 6th. And here's where that winter festival dynamic is important, because people kind of like the St. Nicholas story, especially the shoes thing. Well, they like the gift-giving part. And you probably could have guessed that this whole shoes and gifts in the night was not something St. Nicholas or his feast day came up with. This was already a, a winter celebration, and, and it was a tradition that had occurred, and literally it comes out of agrarian societies having a way to share helpful materials during the winter. We aren't the first people to give gifts in wintertime. And when the feast day thing changed, especially in Northern Europe, they still kept the practice going. Some still did this on December 6th and still do today, but a lot of practicing Christians just decided to move the tradition to Christmas Day, which was still a celebration whether you were Catholic or Protestant. So, that changed. But then the tradition sat stagnant again for a couple of centuries. St. Nicholas was still in the imagination and the gift-giving still happened, but the biggest shift was that Christmas Day began to be associated with gift-giving. And please remember, despite the religious overtones, this was regular people still participating in a practice that went back way further than Christianity and was not necessarily religious in nature. In fact, a lot of Christmas traditions capture the same fluidity of common cultural practices in winter, merging with the religious narrative of Christianity and Jesus. Seriously, even the date of December 25th happened this way back in the Roman Empire. Regular people giving gifts in winter using the narratives of St. Nicholas within their folk traditions. That's what was going on. And then a new country comes into the picture that would change everything. As always, yes, the United States is to blame for where we're at now. This cascade of all sorts of traditions into a singular force, where else could this have happened? I mean, it's way more complicated than that. But still, it's also quite interesting. Because one group that really held on to the St. Nicholas thing, who also happened to be quite invested in global imperialism at the time because of their skilled shipbuilding as an attempt to gain power in the advent of nation-states post-mercantilism, was the Dutch. Have you ever gone to a city in the United States that has a large Dutch population? Yeah, they also tend to have year-round Christmas stores. Seriously, it's connected. 
Now, early America actually was the least Christmassy place you could have been. And this is because the initial inhabitants of the United States as an English colony were not all that religious. The book White Trash by Nancy Eisenberg unpacks this really well. But the first settlers, at least the majority of them, were kind of leftovers from England. Literally, the people England was trying to get rid of. And with that came a low religious culture. Then the Puritans came. Not the pilgrim hat folks, but people escaping the religious royal conflict in England. They were, should we say, old school in their temperament. And in 1644, they actually banned Christmas. You still see the sentiment in some religious cultures that have their roots in the Puritans. But they had a rather fierce emphasis against Christmas because it was commercialized. Sound familiar? The whole gift thing. It also showed traces of paganism, which they failed to point out that a lot of culture at this time had the same issues. But there was also the Protestant's edge, which gave the reasoning that Christmas is not in the Bible and should not be venerated as a cultural holiday. But then the Dutch came, and they saved Christmas from Puritan hands. They did this because the Dutch culture was one of those that still maintained uh, the general culture of winter gift-giving, and they had this figure whom they called Sinterklaas, which is just another way to say St. Nicholas in its Anglicanized linguistic form. And in 1773, you see the start of the citizens of the United States celebrating this tradition of honoring St. Nicholas on the anniversary of his death. Soon, there were images used of an older man with a beard and bishop's robes, all based on the iconography of St. Nicholas from 4th century Turkey. Still doesn't explain the North Pole yet. This took a few more decades, and here we can actually start seeing very tangible progressions. First, 1809, Washington Irving, the same guy who wrote the original Sleepy Hollow, he wrote a book called A Knickerbocker's History of New York, which had an image of St. Nicholas flying around and smoking a pipe. We should also remember that this is the time of mass print and mass media, and is really starting to play a common role in society. People now had a common image to base this tradition on. You don't get the singularity of these traditions that I'm talking about without this technology. So, now we have some imagery that people begin sharing together, and images fill in the blanks of the imagination. It's no longer just a story. We all now start having a common reference to what this actually looks like. Then, 1821, a book with engravings, which was all the rage in this period. Seriously, it was a huge step in mass-producing images. This book comes out called The Children's Friend, which now portrayed this blossoming tradition, but removed the religious imagery. Also something that was all the rage, the scientific revolution and enlightenment starting to kind of clash with religious fanaticism. Then you have 1822. And this is really where we can connect the contemporary with the historical, because this thing still plays a role in modern traditions. Clement Clark Moore wrote a poem. He called it A Visit from St. Nicholas. You might know it as The Night Before Christmas. This poem is also the main reason that Santa Claus and St. Nicholas have become interchangeable names. There was another timely edition in the 1820s by one Thomas Nast. 
because alongside of this poem, which gave a singular narrative and a lot of the spectacle and practices of Santa Claus, Nash created an image that still survives today and cemented the picture we developed of Santa Claus, a jolly, plump, elf-like figure with reindeer and toys that went through chimneys for deserving children. And it was an equal mix of St. Nicholas imagery and mythological folk narratives often associated with various winter festivals alongside of the modern developments of the ultimate gift giver with lots of magical stuff. This is where you see the modern idea of Santa Claus sprouting. Essentially, St. Nicholas got a makeover, but it was impacted by all these social situations, religious changes from the Protestant Reformation, cultural conglomeration resulting from imperialism, new cultural developments that resulted from colonization and settlement changes, social changes, like especially the advent of secularization that was trying to maintain cultural values without the religious imagery, and of course, technology. None of this happens without the technological advancements that made mass culture possible. It's a strange cocktail of time, but it filled a winter festival void in the Western world, and specifically the early United States. I mean, the other common tradition at this time that was discussed as a huge problem was the Christmas tradition of getting blackout drunk and encouraging illegal activity. I guess domesticating that was a good idea for social health. But now we can start seeing how we got to this point, at least a little bit. And just with what we've covered so far, having the context and history hopefully helps us place this reality within the human experience. If nothing else, the St. Nicholas to Santa Claus evolution can be put in its proper place. There are explanations, there are developments, and we can see how they result from all these other factors. So, I guess when it comes to the question of disclosing the identity of Santa Claus to children, I just look at all of this and say, which one? Like, if you are against all the Santa stuff, okay. But which one? Which parts? There's some good stuff here. Or if you think it's an existential necessity to do the Santa tradition for the sake of a child's social and mental well-being, okay. But which ones? If I don't do certain things that aren't as popular today and didn't really come around until the last century or so, what am I stealing from them? Is it more of a lie to neglect the vast array of factors and traditions and meanings that we have before us? I, I guess I just wouldn't emphasize either of these approaches. I also don't think the whole thing needs to be shrouded in mystery. You know, oh, but it's just the spirit of Christmas and all of that. Well, okay, but which one? The, the blackout drunk one? The Puritan ban one? The Reformation and resulting wars? The anti-religious sentiments? The imprisoned saint? That, that is, therefore, the first reason that I've been okay telling my children about Santa Claus. Primarily because the whole thing is new. There were people alive, not that long ago, who had no clue about this stuff. H have we elevated a recent phenomenon to eternal reverence? I mean, on one hand, I'm, I try to handle everything like this with my children. I want them to know as much as possible. I encourage them to ask questions and explore so that they can see as much of the world as they can. There's, there's a lot I can't control as a parent. There's a lot I can't dictate for who my children will become but I can give them the gift of knowing how to think, 
the situation of Santa Claus is an example of mobilizing their curiosity beyond the surface of what they see around them. If this is quite new, what else is there? What's being neglected? If they can see the trajectory, how does that impact them? But being honest about the newness also helps reveal longevity. This is what happens anytime you take something that appears to be a mainstay and put it in its proper place. You start to see this larger strand of which you are a part and all the factors that coincide with what we have inherited. And the real dynamics happening, supposedly behind the scenes, come to light. And they become more full. They become richer. They're given depth. I kind of like the idea of my children feeling connected not just to contemporary society, but to the roots of history. When we do certain traditions, which we do a lot of this stuff, I like the idea of them seeing that they are part of this very large strand that has led to this moment. I guess I'm just okay with my children knowing the whole story and working with as much information as possible. It doesn't mean we we don't still participate in any of the Santa stuff. Like, In fact, I would argue that we are able to encounter even more traditions than just what you see in a Disney movie. And the biggest flack we get is, but doesn't telling your children this stuff ruin Christmas? No, not at all. In fact, I think we have a much fuller winter festival because we try to hold as much of the components as possible. Doing these things, again, this is just my opinion, provides more opportunity to live more holistically. Seeing more of the world and living more fully in the world go hand in hand. So yeah, my children know that Santa Claus, as portrayed in the modern songs and movies, is not real. They know we put presents under the tree. They know the guy in the mall is wearing a costume. But they also know who St. Nicholas was. They also know why gift giving was an instrumental social act in the winter months. They know why some of these conflicts and changes led to what is normal in our culture. And I just happen to think that we should tell our children that. Yes, we should tell our children about Santa Claus and include what makes this modern version magical and beautiful, but also include where it comes from and why it happened and why it might not always be such a good thing. Which, as you could have guessed, there's more that deals with that last part because we haven't quite gotten to the full modern version of Santa Claus, have we? So we'll start there next time, and I'll try to make a different case for why we should tell our children, not necessarily about Santa Claus, but about St. Nicholas. We should put St. Nicholas back in Christmas, because it isn't just that this modern story needs to be understood, there's a better story that has been neglected. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.